You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back, everybody. Today is full of nostalgia and bright colors and fun sounds. And the biggest shoulder pads. Biggest shoulder pads. So many patterns in one outfit. (laughs) It's amazing that you can put that many patterns together. It really is something. I'm surprised more seizures were induced by that, honestly, because it's overwhelming to the eye and it can trigger something, in my opinion. We'll never know. There's statistics somewhere. (laughs) Okay. So tonight, we're going to talk about the greatest night in pop. This was done in 2024. It's an hour and 36 minutes long. It's on the Netflix. And it was directed by Bao Nguyen, who I'm just going to say also did a documentary on Bruce Lee called Be Water, which we might have to do. Just because that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice that this one is a Netflix documentary again? That is a, an actual Netflix documentary? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Obviously yeah. on Netflix, but also paid for by Netflix. I don't know. <laughs> they had the next Netflix brand on it. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. We just did, John was trying to talk to aliens, which was also a Netflix jam. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, I mean, they have quite a few good documentaries. So they do. Yeah. I give them credit for that. And no commercials yet. Well done, Netflix. <laughs> You might be the only place we go to for documentaries coming up. <laughs> uh, it's just going to make my watching so much longer. It's going to piss me off and I'll just turn it off. Maybe read a book. Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> so I like that there's kind of a bit of a blurb at the beginning or a quote. It's not like on the screen mm-hmm. or anything, but they said the greatest artists of a generation came together with all of our ego, with all of our talent to save some lives. And I thought well, that's a really nice way to put it. Right, because this is about uh, the song We Are the World, which I remember as a child, but I didn't really understand. I mean, I understand it was a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. I understand that a bunch of really famous people got together, but the logistics of how this came together and the aftermath Mm -hmm. and um, the way they accomplished the goal was really interesting. So I'm so glad they did this. It's a fast watch. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. ooh, the whole time. It's so exciting. It is. And you're right. I was, this came out in 1985. So I would have been nine going on 10. And I remember the video again, it was the one year I had cable, I'm guessing. Um, Cause I remember the music video was a big deal and the song was everywhere. And also at that time, there were a whole lot of commercials about the famine in Ethiopia, specifically Ethiopia at the time. But I think there were others in Africa around the same time, but that's the one they really focused on. And there were a lot of commercials trying to garner support and funding and stuff to help. So this was just one more aspect of that that mm-hmm. people took on to try to get some money to support that. Right. Because this is really the first big push that they're bringing famine relief, like kind of the, the word of famine relief to America, because, you know, we throw food away like it's nothing. I did it this morning. <laughs> 
and that's not an option for a lot of folks. So to kind of get us out of our own perspective and invested in somebody else, these are the kind of things they had to do to wake us up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, a lot of that famine was politically driven as well. And so there's a lot more to it than just droughts equal famine. There was relief getting there that was not getting to the people. It was used as a political um, tool and a lot of people died because of it. So there was a lot more involved than just, we're going to send them food that isn't discussed here. But if you want to look into it at some point in time, it's, um, it's interesting to read. It's devastating to read, but there's a lot more to it than just drought equals famine. Right. So I guess the group that you want to discuss, it's USA for Africa. That's what's on the banner in the back of the video. You can kind of see sponsorship, not necessarily, but just that's the association here. That's the group that's promoting and kind of making all of this happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was actually brought forward by Harry Belafonte and he was at this point kind of a statesman. He was still acting, still singing, but he did a lot of political work as well. And this came to his attention and he really pushed for it and got others involved in it. So he's really the, the there's a word for it, the champion Catalyst. for this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Either of those will work. Right. So he brings it to an agent, a guy named Ken Cragen who's representing different artists, I think, when they are trying to get the um, ideas together, kind of pull it all together, who starts to work with Lionel Richie, um, who is the coolest guy I have learned from this documentary. This dude is right. everywhere. Yeah. 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 This was like the peak, the height of his solo career, right? So he was with the mm -hmm. Commodores and he left the Commodores in the early eighties, I think, mm -hmm. and went on his own. Now he had so many hits and I remember them, probably all of them, but he was really, really famous at the time. And like he said, at this time he was, you know, making music. He was chosen to host the American Music Awards, which is a really big deal back then. I don't know that I really think about it much now, but back then it was a big deal. Andy was performing on that show and, and, and. So he was really busy at the time. Yeah. So again, he finds out about this from his agent. And mm -hmm. so there's also some commentary here from, well, Stephen Ivory, and you already hit on some of it, that kind of the history of Mr. Belafonte, once he was a well-known artist, he kind of changes his focus to trying to take care of other people, especially shedding some light on stuff that we is not as popularly known mm -hmm. and um, he's having a huge social impact beyond his music. And of course uh, the famine in Africa is one of those causes that's near and dear to his heart. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, he's trying to rally, rally people to help in some way. They do discuss that a guy named Bob Geldof had recently released a Band-Aid single, which is another one, another big song that you might have heard. And I thought We Are the World was first and then the Band-Aid one was second, but that's not the case. So, yeah, Bob Geldof was the actor in Pink Floyd, The Wall. Yes. He was also the lead singer of Boomtown Rats, I think is the name of the band. 
and he did Live Aid. He was the one who kind of pulled Live Aid together this big concert later. So it starts with these singles, right? He did Band-Aid, and then we have this We Are the World single, and then it moves on to larger things later. But I don't know what it is about him that every time they talk about him or he opens his mouth, I just cringe. I think because... <laughs> Every time he did something for charity, it seemed like it was more for him to get noticed for doing something for charity. And that might not be the case at all, Mm -hmm. but he seemed to be really vocal about, look what I'm doing for everybody. And that just turned me off. I mean, I'm glad he did stuff and people benefited from it, but I don't know. Something about him. I kind of feel the same way about Bono and his work. And I'm like, just any, any of the photo opportunities, please take Mm -hmm. your sunglasses off. Like, it's just annoying. I think for him, honestly, I think it's a, he has a problem with his eyes. That's why he wears like the yellow ones inside. And that oh, I think it's okay. well, genuinely an eye problem. Okay. I'm not saying he doesn't like take a lot of photographs for charity as it were, but sunglasses I think are, are needed. Maybe not. Okay. Okay. Well, I learned something. That's always nice. Anyway. Yeah. So back to uh, Lionel Richie, he's talking about Harry really wants the youth's to get involved, like today's musicians, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more focused on the black musicians. And he said, look, we have white folks trying to save um, folks in Africa. What if black folks tried to save black folks? Wouldn't that be something novel as far as like, you know, using your fame and influence mm-hmm. to help somebody else. And so that is part of what this is hitting on with a lot of these folks. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to bring Quincy Jones in as he is on fire. I said, <laughs> but he's also everywhere, right? I best know him as Rashida Jones's dad, but that's probably like the least of these things because she's delightful <laughs> and parks in Iraq. So, and then kind of rounding out some more of these folks, they do contact Stevie Wonder at the beginning to try to get him in on writing a song because if you're going to perform a song, you also have to have a song to perform so obviously Lionel's in on it Quincy Jones the uh, legendary producer and Mm -hmm. dad and then uh, Stevie Wonder who kind of gives him a little bit of the blow off like he can't be located so well I'm like all right and then Michael Jackson is the next kind of the the fourth horseman if you will (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah, I thought it was funny because we were talking about Stevie Wonder. Like, listen, you can contact him and he'll say, I'll call you back. And that's kind of just on his time. Someday he will actually call you back. There's no there's no tomorrow. There's no time frame. It's just eventually. So what's funny is when he finally does become part of it and he gets involved, he's like, okay, we're writing. You're like, dude, dude, we've moved way past that. Come on, you can sing with us. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, and I wonder too if that's this moved really quickly in the music business. And so normally Mm -hmm. a three week, you know, contact versus we'll call you back. Isn't that big a deal? Although you do Mm -hmm. kind of get the sense that Stevie doesn't really, uh, he's not really on anybody else's time. He's just going to do things the way he want to do them. So love that. And he's earned that right at this point in time. He's been doing that for a long time. He's like, listen, you just, you work around me. I'm sure he isn't arrogant like that. But some of the footage, you could just see him and his, like, hair and his outfits. And he's just, like, so full of joy in life. And it is so fun to watch him perform. So, I know. That was my favorite part of this is seeing all the video from these musicians and just the time frame. Like I said, Mm -hmm. the brightest colors. (laughs) Cindy Lauper's hair was so fucking bright. 
it made me so happy. But it was like orange and yellow. Yeah. But like of highlighter hue. I mean, yes. How you got yeah. that bright. It's impressive. But also mm-hmm. then that limits what your choices in clothing are, right? You can only wear certain colors because that'll clash real fast. Just saying. Not that they cared about that in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, I don't think so, but I, I hear what you're saying. Like uh, today's fashionistas would say you're really going to have to, uh, you know, either or, either or, but uh, not back yeah. then. Mm-mm. It was a time of excess. <laughs> can we, um, can we talk about Lionel and Michael writing the song at Michael Jackson's house? I'm so glad that he told this part of the story because the chaos that sounded like it was happening in Michael Jackson's house. No, it's really funny too. Cause Lionel says they'd known each other for a really long time, like back to like Motown days. And when Michael was just like really young and seeing with Jackson five and then, so they have some, the familiarity, they're comfortable together. But then later he's like, I've never been to Michael's house before this, nor had I actually been alone with him. And so I think there was that like, oh yeah, we haven't really just had, um, you know, face-to-face interaction with nobody else around. I think it was more of a kind of a group setting half the mm-hmm. time. And then, so now they're kind of thrust together in um, Michael yeah. Jackson's menagerie. I don't know. Yes. That's what I was going to say. He has, a, he was well known as having a, a zoo essentially at his house, right? He, the mm-hmm. Bobo, the ape monkey, some kind of monkey. Primate. Bubbles, the chimp. Mm-hmm. Bubbles, Bobo, whatever. It's all good. <laughs> It's all good. But yeah, I mean, he had that. And then there was, he was like, Lionel, you need to meet Bubbles. And Lionel's like, I don't want to meet Bubbles. I just want to write the song. And then there was an argument between a dog and some bird that could talk downstairs. And at one point, Lionel Richie sees a snake out of the corner of his eye and freaks the fuck out, as you should, if there's a snake loose. And Michael's like, oh, I lost him in the room. He finally came out. You should meet him. And Lionel's like, fuck no, dude. (laughs) These animals, I just can't imagine being uh, very productive in that environment, but it suited Michael just fine. Right. Now you're just primed for any kind of jump scare or it's going to be hard to (laughs) concentrate on uh, lyrics for a serious cause. Right. And they kind of just fumble through it. They get some music down. What I thought was really interesting was that Lionel didn't realize that Michael couldn't play an instrument so he would just hum along and he's like it was just it was very well done it was like there were different you know depths to what he was humming but I don't think he realized that Michael didn't play an instrument until that point and I don't know that I ever realized that he didn't play an instrument until that point either so that's news right so if he doesn't play one on stage that doesn't mean that he's not using a piano or something a lot of musicians you know write with guitar or write with piano from my understanding but mm-hmm. to see somebody else's process that's, like, unusual, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it was all on, yeah. like, cassettes and stuff. Like, how crazy is that? <laughs> I know. And they played some of it back. It was pretty crazy to listen to them kind of come mm-hmm. up with these tunes. So they started with an anthem and then kind of built on that to get the music side of it. And so they kind of had the tune of it well before they had any of the lyrics. And they were like, man, we'll get the lyrics when we get the lyrics. It wasn't really that big of a rush in their opinion mm-hmm. they'll get to it right well I think they're old hat at this right like this is not a new process like if I was thrust into a situation where I had to write some kind of banger of a song I'm helping no one 
but I mean, however they mushed and you know, kind of melded their process together seemed to work for them. So again, it, it's funny to think about, you know, when you're choosing a song for an occasion, do you want a fast song? Do you want a slow song? Do you want the kind of song that you can hold up your lighter to? Well, mm-hmm. the last one is the one that they went for. So, you know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think no matter what the tune was, considering the topic, you could hold up your lighter. It's okay. It's acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Or in this day and age, your cell phone. I don't think they do lighters anymore. They just put the light on their flashlight. That's right, kids. Phone, right? Sometimes you used to have a lighter and you'd hold it up and hope you didn't burn your thumb. So, Or anyone else because it was a lot of hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> it shit's going up fast. Truth. Truth. <laughs> okay. So they've got Quincy, Michael, Lionel. And Stevie, in theory, although he's mm-hmm. not being part of writing it. so He's in spirit, yeah. So far, yeah. <laughs> so the Kragen, because he sounds like a supervillain, so I'm going to call him that. Yeah. They start calling other artists. They're like, they, they can get pretty much anyone at this point. You have those four to start with. Anyone's going to be on board, right? Mm-hmm. So they start calling. This is the 80s, so there's no cell phones. There's no email. There's no, like it's practically carrier pigeon at this point, right? It's just, let's hope it gets where it needs to go. But apparently the Kragen had a huge Rolodex to the point where one of the women, we talked to a couple women from the Kragen group that worked there at the time said she used to take a large suitcase whenever they traveled just to carry the Rolodexes. That seems excessive, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, that's why you don't have a business mindset, Erin. (laughs) <laughs> that's to be able to call people at the drop of a hat. But yeah, that seems so strange to us today as all of that information is at the touch of your fingertips on your personal computer device. So <laughs> that fits in your pocket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was so funny to see these huge Rolodexes. I'm like, oh, I don't know that I ever had one properly. Did you? I don't think so. I, I don't think that I was that important, important enough. Yet. <laughs> Yeah. I had an address book. I think that's just yeah. a different organization of that. But yeah, it's so funny to think about, you know, in a business like that, you're going to have to be able to get a hold of people and their agents and like different venues and all that kind of stuff. So these people had the know-how to put these logistics together. And that's what they started doing while the other folks were working on the song. At the time, they do decide that the easiest thing to do to get people together is to capitalize on the fact that the American Music Awards is creeping up in about a month. And so most of that travel stuff is already going to be taken care of. So they're going to try to pull it together on that night. Right. Because getting that many really famous, busy people together at the same time and getting their schedules to mesh up would be near Mm -hmm. impossible. Right. And so this instance, they're all going to be in town already, have their schedules cleared specifically for this event. Mm -hmm. Why not take advantage of that? That was brilliant. Honestly, that was a brilliant thought. Whoever came up with it, well done. (laughs) Harriet, that's the lady's name that I have. I think Harriet Mm -hmm. and Wendy are the ones that I captured that were talking about Mm -hmm. some of this. And they get on the phone with Larry Klein, who is the producer of the AMAs, because they're like, who's coming? How can we find them? Um, So they, again, they're kind of trying to capitalize on the time that they have. So yeah, it's the who's who of 80s music. And so that was really fun to see how they kind of combed through people and 
and got people lined up. I think it's really funny that everybody was talking about Prince, obviously huge in the 80s stuff and beyond, but that was a big year for him. And also Sheila E was kind of, they were in a relationship, I think at the time. So they were touring together and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. when she had like glamorous life and all of those. Mm-hmm. So and cute. he had so, purple rain. Yep. Yes. So that's how those two started, got on the short list, right? Of mm-hmm. folks. And then they start talking about Cindy Lauper and Bruce Springsteen. And I mean, my God, who else? Paul and Yeah. Lindsey Buckingham. I mean, oh my God, what is his name? The one that I forgot all about, the Ghostbuster. Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. I was like, well, that that must have been weird for him to walk into that situation, right? Considering. Did you look and find out like what the story is on how he got there? Uh-uh. So I guess he actually is a musician. Well, he's in the but, Blues Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's not really related to this. What I saw when I looked it up, because I'm like, how, Why? He seems like such an odd choice. Right. Not that I don't love me some Dan Aykroyd. But evidently he was at the studio for something else and just kind of got pulled into it. <laughs> and it was completely by accident. I love the that. article that I read. And he was like, he was there with his dad and they were talking to somebody and they thought it was something else. And then he just got yoinked right in. And I was like, for all night? But <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, I would sit in the background and act like I'm singing if you want me to that's fine yeah so when you're watching the footage it's so fun to go through and there's always somebody that I I either don't know or I'm like God, I forgot who that is Mm -hmm. but every time I know exactly who he is because he just jumps right off the screen and I'm like the fuck is Dan Aykroyd doing there (laughs) right there were so many people that I forgot were part of it like Paul Simon even though he has like a solo Lindsay Buckingham I completely forgot the ones that I definitely remembered were obviously like Cindy Lauper. She had a nice big part. Huey Lewis, Bob Dylan. I absolutely remember that one. <laughs> I can't so, wait to talk about that later. <laughs> I know. So there's some so that cute. I definitely remember and some that I, I definitely forgot until I, I watched this and I'm like, oh yeah, they were a part of it. So, well, I watched it with Dave the other day and I was like, okay, you have to tell me who a couple of these people are. Cause I didn't know who Waylon Jennings was to look at him. Oh, yeah. He stands out, too. He definitely stands out. He does. But I'm like, I feel like I should know everybody in, you know, everybody there. Because I consider myself a bit of an audiophile. You know what I mean? But um, Mm -hmm. so that was one. Lindsay Buckingham doesn't look like Lindsay Buckingham to me, but he does look like a racer head. And I don't understand it. So he's like, (laughs) that's Lindsay Buckingham. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really funny. Who is the one? Al Jarreau was one I did yeah. not know that name and I had to look it up. I know a lot of his songs, but I'm oh. like, I don't know that name. So, I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's got a couple, he's got a couple jams. Adult so. contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. He's right yeah. up there. <laughs> see, James, he, one of, um, James Ingram. That's one mm-hmm. that I was like, I meant to look up to see what he's saying. So I'm sure, I mean, I've heard the name. I just don't know what he's, what his tunes are. The one I think that comes to the top of my mind, didn't he do a duet with someone for like Dirty Dancing or something like that? Now I have to look. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I'm going to look that up right now. Live on air. Okay. Just Once, Somewhere Out There with oh, Linda Ronstan. Mm-hmm. That's um, it. From the um, American Tale. Is that yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Baby, come to me 100 ways. I don't have the heart. When you love someone with Anita Baker. Hmm. I think I know I don't have the heart. Not the way you want me to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So not Uh, not Dirty Dancing, but a cartoon still. I knew he had like done a duet with someone for a movie. Yeah. Yeah. He sounds great. Oh, yeah. 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 Kenny Rogers was another one that I forgot was on there. Can we talk about what did he always look old? I feel like he always looked old, even when he was young, kind of like Steve Martin. Like, yeah, he's got a real Colonel Sanders vibe and he's always had it. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm hmm. But Bed Midler makes a show, oh, she yeah. shows up. Yeah. And as these people start to sign up, word gets back to Lionel and Michael that everybody you've ever heard of is on board. So you're talking about Tina Turner, Ray Charles, Diana Ross, Billy Joel, Willie Nelson, Huey Lewis, Paul Simon, you already mentioned. But could you imagine? now being like all of these people are waiting for me to produce a smash hit mm-hmm. and that's when I would just fold Fall apart <laughs> yeah. yes. and I'm out mm-hmm. right well they talk about you know the AMAs are just weeks away so now they have a timeline because they've determined that it's going to be the night of the AMAs and they really need to get something pulled together they have to find a studio, but they have to keep it quiet because they don't want anyone to know. So they like didn't tell anyone what the studio was. They just sent out information and had like drivers, I think, kind of take them there. It looked like some people pulled up on their own, but I think most people just had drivers assigned to them. Hold on. Are you talking like people like Kenny Rogers who pulled up in a DeLorean? DeLorean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that too. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Sure. That cat. Yeah. Yep. So the... We're able to finish the song. They wrote the lyrics and they got it finished about eight days before the recording was going to happen. And thankfully, Quincy Jones loved it. Can you imagine if he didn't, you have to start over. Oh, no. You're like, this is hot garbage. You guys. <laughs> and I'm out. Right. So they had to lay down some tracks to get a demo out to the artists that were going to be performing. So they knew what they were going to be performing and just kind mm-hmm. of have an idea of the song. This is when Stevie comes in. And it's like, hey, I'm ready to write a song. And they're like, nope, we're already done. Come on in and sing with us. <laughs> right. So I think he's a good sport through most of it. Mm-hmm. They do mention that he's a bit of a troublemaker, which I find fascinating. Right. So most of what is portrayed in this, however, is lovable, maybe a little mischievous. Um, he does like just sit down at the, com- or at the computer. He sits down at the computer. No, he doesn't. <laughs> at the piano. Yeah. That's what he sits down at. And plays through some things with people, which I'm like, what? What? You just sit down and play? I mean, I can play piano, but it takes months of practice on one piece of music. And that was years ago. So um, just the brilliance and genius of being able to just sit down and play by ear. I mean, come yeah. on. Like he, yeah. he heard it on the tape and he was like, sure, sweet, let's go. And he just, that, <laughs> that kind of genius of people like him or of Prince who can play like every instrument and compose yes. for every instrument. Yes. It's just, it's savant level, right? I just don't mm-hmm. understand how their brain must work. I'm mm-hmm. constantly amazed by people, honestly. Yeah. 
And so that's why they're paid uh, the big money and uh, everybody loves them, which they should. They should. Absolutely. Some of the people we do meet that help out were Humberto Gatica, which I love that name. He was the recording producer. He was the essentially the engineer for the whole thing. Tom Baylor, who's a vocal arranger. Now, this cat, I think, probably had the most difficult job. Because, like, they have to sit down and they have to think about all, like, there are 47 artists involved. That's a lot of musicians who all have their own style and their vocal range and differences. So he has to sit down and figure out who's going to have solos because there are little snippets of solos throughout with different artists. Each artist has, like, it's only about a line or half a line. It's real short, but still. Who goes next to who? How they're going to do, like, the core, everyone together singing the chorus is one thing, but then there are little snippets where you have just a couple people harmonizing together. So he needs to arrange that and make sure it sounds cohesive and not have people butting up against each other, which aren't going to match up well. Right. So a lot of those, uh, the order of the, the um, solos are kind of complementary, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. you have somebody's style that complements the next singer. Mm -hmm. And they talk about this throughout. And then when you listen to it again, I hear it with such different ears because I'm like, oh my God, I had no idea. I guess I just thought they just walked in and it's like everybody knew what was going on, and, <laughs> uh, which is stupid. Uh, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was nine or 10 when it came out. Of course you think it just happened effortlessly, right? Right. But just to think about, yeah, all of those different people and what would make them comfortable and how they could kind of bridge all of those different tastes and styles together and they like put little tape labels on the floor which maybe was also my favorite (laughs) it's like it's a high school choir oh my god so funny so yeah yeah so let's talk about the the night that this happened so it starts with the amas and you have lionel richie who has to host the amas perform at the amas and he also won Six awards, I think, that night. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. He was so high energy and such a professional. I I want to go back and now watch this. Of course, I would have no context for watching it when I was a kid, right? It would not have sunk into to my brain mm-hmm. the genius that you would have had to perform like he did, um, host like he did, and wear that fucking plaid and sequin jacket. Thank you very much. So many (laughs) patterns mixed together throughout the... There was one time they show him getting out of a car and he has like triangles and plaid, some stripes somewhere, maybe a paisley. I'm like, it's like a toddler dressed themselves, but they got away with it. So Right. It was high fashion at the time. And I think (laughs) even at the, the taping, which was later that evening, isn't he wearing some like shiny suit? Because at one point, they're like, Lionel's the one who has to get everyone together in the singing room. Like, well, he has shiny pants on. Of course he's in charge. It's the only option. The gold lame of my dreams. I mean, like, (laughs) the the security that that man must walk around with daily. It's not quite as secure as Prince, who has Chick, (laughs) his man Chick who walks up and accepts awards with him. This man looked like he came straight out of WWF, right? I mean, legitimately in like a tank top at the AMAs to show off them guns. 
look, I mean, the girls can't uh, can't see the gun show. You can't have that. Right. We have to have that on display. It was so interesting because they're like, who's going to attack Prince walking up to the stage that he needs security <laughs> with him? And I'm like, listen, he's just bringing him along for everything. Has the bodyguard been released yet? Because we know that that can't happen. But I don't think so. Maybe it was That's in the true. 90s. I think it was late 80s, early 90s. Oh, okay. But yeah. All right. Yeah. But it's so funny because Prince is a kind of a tiny, delicate man to begin with. And you have this hulking giant next to him. So he just looks like the most delicate a flower walking in his amazing heels better than any woman I've ever seen. So A thousand percent. <laughs> so we do talk to Sheila e at this point and she is talking about, which is echoed by several people. Um, that are interviewed that she's coming off of a tour. She's on uh, the Purple Rain tour with Prince. Um, she mm-hmm. performs at the AMAs. She's absolutely exhausted. Um, but she does secure a last minute invitation from Lionel Richie to be like, oh, you should totally come and do this thing. And like, maybe Prince can come if he's not too busy or mm-hmm. whatever. So I thought it was cute that um, she speaks in this and she looks stunning. Mm-hmm. And then to see her perform was so fun. I remember her in that time frame, and I remember wanting to look just like her. Now, I'm not going to look anything like her because I'm pasty and I don't have amazing <laughs> hair. And I have no talent for drumming or any other instrument. Mm-hmm. She was an amazing drummer. But God, I watched those videos and thought that's what I want to look like when I grow up. I mean, still want to look like that now. <laughs> so, yeah, again, I mean, we've talked about this a couple different times. There were no female drummers. There was no female rhythm section anywhere. Um, We talk about Karen Carpenter, that she was a bitchin' drummer, but that wasn't what she was known for because she got, you know, kind of shoehorned into singing because that's what Pretty Broads Mm -hmm. did, you know? So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was a bitchin' drummer. We talked to Sheila E. in one of our other documentaries about the Harlem, like a Harlem music festival. The Summer of Soul. That's Mm -hmm, it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she talks about, and I just, I don't know. I like the commonality of talking to her about some of her experiences because it's different than what you normally see, especially at the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, they tried to, they tried to put her into a category of just singing as well, because if you look at videos in that, so to see her perform like this at the AMAs where she was up front drumming and singing, I love that they that they did that, that they kept her in that role of drumming Mm -hmm. because I'm guessing her, her concerts were similar to that, but yeah. And the videos and that, I just thought she was a singer when I was a kid. I didn't know she was also a drummer. So one of the things that I wouldn't say was funny. It was a little bit disappointing was Cindy Lauper comes up to Lionel Richie backstage at the AMAs. Now her boyfriend, they don't say who that is at the time, but her boyfriend at the time had heard the song, like got a hold of the demo and heard the song. And he didn't want her to sing on it because he didn't think it was going to be a hit. And so she didn't think she was going to be able to sing on it. And I thought, girl, you were out there telling us to just be free and live our lives and be women and whatnot. And here you are having a man tell you what to do. No. Well, I thought it was funny that they didn't mention who this dumbass boyfriend is. who's not (laughs) obviously a hit picker. So... (laughs) moron yeah well Lionel Richie was able to talk her into coming still so I'm sure she's thankful that she did participate so she we do talk to her 
now i mean she is she is interviewed as part of this documentary and she still looks fucking amazing with like lavender hair i just i love her so much yeah punk and yet so stunning yeah i think she looks amazing i've seen her in other things like commercials and just different political things and Mm -hmm. yeah she looks amazing love that Mm -hmm. so a couple of people that came in for the taping so there after the amas of course the kurgan was like everyone go to the studio now Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of people that had to fly in for it. Dionne Warwick was one. And it's funny because she had no idea what she was flying in for. They're just like, hey, come record with us. And she's like, um, okay. Because she was like in Vegas doing a show or something. And Bruce Springsteen was just like the night before was the last night of his. Born in the USA tour. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like born free, born something. <laughs> yeah. Some tour that was a big tour for him because he was pretty popular at the time. And so he had to fly in, probably exhausted. I imagine touring is just exhausting. And he normally didn't travel after that. But because of this, he came in. Who else were some that came in? I can't remember. Those are the two big ones that I remember flew in for the event. Yeah, I don't remember exactly who they were, who they mentioned. But it was some big names. And it was exciting to hear that they gave a shit and went for it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. So they get all these people together. Quincy Jones put like a sign up that says, check your ego at the door. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I like that because you have a lot of big personalities here. Sure. Lionel Richie said everyone being in there, it was like the first day of kindergarten. And I love that description. <laughs> right. Cause they talked like, these people don't really have a lot of interaction with one another. Of course they know of each other and they're mm-hmm. competing against each other for your dollar. But mm-hmm. to just be in a setting like this is foreign mm-hmm. when they're all together. So I thought that yeah. was really cute. So I think there's like some mixing. And again, this is like 10 PM because they were whisk away from the end of the AMA. So I assume people aren't drunk and whatnot or they don't get distracted or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of, possibilities i think so they're whisk away they arrive it's like sort of a second red carpet because they were definitely talking about people being on walkie talkies and they're like kim carnes has just pulled up or whatever so cute (laughs) right bob geldoff is there he is part of this he does Mm -hmm. speak at the beginning just to kind of bring it home. So like it's, it's this energetic atmosphere. And then he's like, listen, this is fun, but this is what we're here for. This is what these people are experiencing. This is what I've seen having gone there. And it just really hit home that this wasn't just for funsies. There was a real Mm -hmm. reason behind this. And I think it gave them some focus and motivation, which was good, even though it's Mm -hmm. Bob Geldof, but he has a lovely accent to listen to. So that's good. It was interesting too, because he hit on the fact he said, we don't know what it's like to have nothing. And by nothing, I mean, you don't have fresh water. You don't have any place to, you know, you don't eat you. I mean, like there are Mm -hmm. literally dead bodies everywhere. I mean, he said it a little bit more eloquently than that, but I mean, he's really Mm -hmm. painting a picture for these folks. So while it could come across a bit of a downer, (laughs) I think it just adds some gravitas to what, what they're here for. And before they record, it's probably important to set the mood. Yeah. So they're on a picture, a high school choir where you have people on like risers and you have like 47 of the biggest artists of the time. And some of them weren't even that popular at that time. Bob Dylan, I would say, wasn't like in his prime. 
right? Um, same with Harry Belafonte. He wasn't necessarily in his prime musically. But they're just all standing around and they, you know, they start singing this chorus and going through it. And there are bright lights, so they're also recording the video at the same time. So you have these huge lights shining down on them. It's probably hot. People probably smell. You could see them sweating. They're just standing for a really long period of time. I thought, how does anyone not pass out? I mean, I'm guessing there was a lot of coke involved. <laughs> but I don't blame them considering what they had to go through. So, Right. And they have some stops and starts, right? So eventually, well, they start recording the chorus, like you mentioned, but they have to come in and be like, can you guys not stomp your feet? <laughs> no up. snapping of fingers. No. Right? <laughs> just uh, if you're going to move around, just do it from the knees, but make no noise. I mean, probably most <laughs> people's. My knees still pop and crack, but it's all yep. good. Some points of interest I'd like to point out to you. Um, Stevie Wonder, or said troublemaker. <laughs> I was like, you know what? This is not good enough. I think we need to add in some Swahili phrases. And so I think it was a bit of a, an exercise. They they did try to see if they could make it work. They did uh, honor the request, right? But ultimately, I think it didn't fit. Waylon Jennings was not a fan. So he peeled out. He was like, oh, this is more than I was bargaining for. So he just left. Yeah. So they do try to listen to what Stevie has to say, but finally Bob comes in and he's like, it's really more important that we're speaking to the people that would be giving the money rather than the people that would be receiving the aid. They won't necessarily get to hear this as much. It's not necessarily geared towards them. So maybe we leave that part out. So we don't like kind of confuse the message. Was that your take on that? Yeah. Also, Swahili is not spoken in Ethiopia. So it was someone brought that up. And I thought that's a pretty good point. Thanks. For it's funny because you're like, is this a hair splitting moment? Like, <laughs> like Steve, like, like, come on, man. Like, we're, we yeah. got one night to do this. You can't be just coming in and throwing yeah. a wrench on it. You had your chance, Stevie. You chose not to take it. Just sing along with the goddamn words. <laughs> And mind you, all these people are still stuck hanging out in the risers, like you mentioned. Uh, Ray Charles is a thousand years old. And he's like, can we just get this Sit going down. on? And there are some <laughs> such choice clips of Lionel Richie's face being like, get it going. Like, just his eyes are so big. And he's like, we have to move along. It's hysterical. And then there are so many so many videos of Bob Dylan just looking lost the whole time. The whole time he looks lost. Like, why am I here? What What is going on? And he's not even that old. He's just lost. He looks old here, but I understand what you're saying. Like, Springsteen's talking about, like, I listened to Bob Dylan as a kid. I mean, the initial uh, poet. Yeah. Bob Dylan started everything. That's not quite true, but I know what you're saying. Ugh. He's He probably was like my age at the time. I would like to think I wouldn't feel, well, I would feel lost in that situation, but I also am not an artiste. <laughs> but Bob Dylan isn't known as um, necessarily the best vocalist. He's known as a lyricist and a good guitar player, but his vocals are um, 
Well, they're they're a little different. They're not Laughable. necessarily yeah, not necessarily Lionel Richie level or Ray Charles, right? Oh, and you get the best taste of that later. <laughs> but he's there and he's trying, right? So, yeah, bless his heart. And then mm-hmm. they take a break to eat because they've been there forever, and the coke is wearing off, so they're probably hungry. <laughs> and Listen, they never mentioned drugs in this. This is all me. I'm I'm just kidding. I don't I don't think any of them are technically on drugs. So they probably should have been. But Diana Ross, who is a legend and amazing, walks up to Daryl Hall of Hall and Oates with her sheet of music and says, I'm a huge fan. Will you sign this? And I thought that was one fucking adorable. And two, it makes them more human, right? Because then they're all it opened the door, they were all like yeah, this is a really good opportunity to get some autographs from people that you don't see all the time, but you do, you know, appreciate what they do and what they're contributing to the industry. Even if you are famous as well, being a little bit awestruck, knowing that everyone's a little awestruck sometimes. I thought that was pretty humbling. Yeah. Yeah. It introduced uh, the level of fangirl moment was adorable. (laughs) And so everybody got to got to exercise that. And it's funny because you throughout like Dionne Warwick speaks and when she finds out that her solo is paired up with Willie Nelson, well, they're completely different music genres, but it blends together so beautifully. And I thought that's what it's about right there is bringing people together. And you wouldn't necessarily think that those two would sound good, but they do. Yeah. And that was really fun. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is also the time when Sheila E realizes that she's probably being used a little bit. So they're trying to still get Prince to come and they're like, Hey, can you get Prince to come? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, he's not going to come. There are too many people here. He would not be comfortable. I think he was a pretty famous introvert. And she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to peace out. So she bails as well. Although she is part of it. Cause she sings the chorus and is recorded mm-hmm. as the chorus. She realized she's not going to have a solo. Mm-hmm. So she bails out. I don't blame her. And I think it's kind of a tough because she got a last minute invitation and that's what she says. And mm-hmm. so I think it's interesting that maybe there's a little bit of truth in both of those statements that she got a last minute invitation. But to me, if you got a last minute invitation, is it really realistic to think you're also going to sing a solo? I don't know. But I agree that maybe they took advantage of the fact that she was there and she was Prince bait. I don't know, but he did offer to come over and, uh, play guitar solo in a different room but again they're like look we kind of we don't really have the ability to get off script here because that's Mm -hmm. when you know all our careful 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 planning falls apart Mm -hmm. so i get it though that was a lot of people in that room i probably would have a little bit of anxiety too so you know yeah and he's so tiny he'd get lost so yeah so there's a moment where they talk about Harry Belafonte and that he's going, you know, kind of telling the crowd, like, he's the one who started this. This is a issue that's close to his heart. And, you know, kind of everybody starts to give him a clap. But then Al Jarreau comes out of nowhere and starts in with probably his favorite, most favorite, most famous song, mm-hmm. which is Deo. Or it's actually the Banana Boat song is the mm-hmm. technical name for it. But if you're a Beetlejuice fan like me... <laughs> Yep, it's the that's dinner the scene. song. Yeah, that they <laughs> sing at that, and it's such a great song. But anyway, he kind of pipes up and starts it, and then everybody picks it up and they sing 
to mm -hmm. Harry Belafonte, and I was just like, oh, goosebump moment. So I know. Cool. I had like tears in my eyes. I had oh. goosebumps. It was just so moving to watch them give him tribute like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was really sweet. And probably Al Jarreau's best moment of the whole. Oh. The whole <laughs> right. So now we're into the solos. Mm. And one of them is Al Jarreau. We'll get to him. Like you said, dancing with Willie Nelson, that went beautifully. Uh, but Al Jarreau was part of that as well. And apparently he was celebrating a lot and by this time was a little bit drunk and was hard to wrangle. Like he was just kind of all over the place with his singing. I don't know how many takes it took to get him to do it correctly, but it seemed, uh, seemed like a lot. Mm -hmm. It seemed like a lot. So. Right. They did have, um, this is one of those points where, as they start to get into the solos, they all gather around the piano and Stevie plays, and then they all kind of sing quickly through their bits. Right. And I think that really helped them get excited because now they get to hear it as it's meant to be played and heard. And so I thought that was really fun to point out. However, they do have a gap because Prince, they kind of earmarked a solo for Prince. So somehow or other, uh, Lionel happens to ask Kenny Loggins, who do we give the last solo to? And Kenny Loggins is like, you obviously need to give it to Huey Lewis. Which mm -hmm. I'm like, what if they hadn't? Like, oh, it's so good. He did such a good job. I know. I know. But I think he was relatively new to the industry at the time. I mean, mm -hmm. he was really popular. He had big hits at the time, but still kind of new comparatively. And so he was really nervous. And it was so sweet listening to him talk about it. How he's like, I had like, a couple of words to sing and that's it. And my knees were shaking and I'm next to these amazing people. And then they're like, Oh, by the way, you have to do a harmony with these people as well. And he's like, that wasn't on the plan. And now he has to do that in front of all these other famous people, like on the fly. Bless right. His heart. So he's singing with Cindy Lauper and Kim Carnes, which mm -hmm. I mean, as ladies maybe don't match Huey Lewis's range. And so he was like, I have to harmonize in front of Steve Perry. I'm doing this in front of Ray Charles and like all of the royalty of, mm -hmm. you know, Muzak. Yeah. And so I was just like, I feel that in my soul, like just to be like, well, it's okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine. Oh my God. I can't, oh my gosh. I can't either. I can't either, but he did amazing. And it's, it was so much fun to watch them do all of these different solo parts together. Like watching Cindy Lauper come in and sing her part, because that's the one that sticks in my head the most out of mm -hmm. these from the song, from knowing it back in the day, her part is the one that I can hear. But as she's singing, they're like, we hear something in the background. It's like, people are laughing. There's like chatter. What is going on? It took them a few minutes to realize it was all of her jewelry it was like <laughs> clanging and clanging. It was hilarious to watch her take everything off <laughs> so for the kids i'm going to explain in the 80s we had big chunky costume jewelry and it was all <laughs> like big statement pieces there wasn't a subtle like mm -mm. small chained anything it was all like giant plastic clacky pieces and she was covered basically from the earlobes down <laughs> yeah. like her bracelets her necklaces her earrings and it was all like multiple um that's what you did you stacked the jewelry right so it wasn't mm -hmm. like you had one choice piece and like a pair of reasonable earrings absolutely not she looked like mr t right <laughs> <laughs> in 
in plastic. Yeah. In plastic. So she's like, oh, okay. So then she takes that out and I think it solves the problem. But it was so funny to hear them being like, oh, a moment. <laughs> what is happening? So it was really funny. Right. And she's adorable. Then they get to um to Bob's part and he doesn't quite know what he's supposed to do. So Bob also, I was unaware, but seems to be very introverted and a little bit overwhelmed by the situation. So he's kind of singing real quietly, like he's doing the chorus. And like, that's not what we want you to do. That's just your follow track or whatever they called it, like supporting tracks you can hear. And so they're able to clean, clear out the room. So all they have is like Stevie Wonder and maybe Lionel's in there with him. I can't remember who else. And Stevie was able to just kind of walk him through, play the piano, kind of mimic how Bob would sound. Apparently he was a very good mimic. And so how he would sound and how he would sing it. And so Bob was on board and then you see him actually sing it and he looks happy to sing it and to participate. And he looks happy with his part once he's able to understand what he needs to do and feels comfortable doing it with everyone out of the room. So it was very sweet to watch that and watch everyone be very patient with him, you know? Yeah. And at the end, he's like, oh, that wasn't any good. (laughs) And Quincy's like, it was great. And he's like, okay, I trust you. Uh, But it was just the... (laughs) But it was funny because I think you have expectations of what people are going to be like. You expect them to be this extroverted or whatever. But if you've not worked with them before, you're not close to them. Because I don't know that he had worked with many of these people before, you know. It, it was nice to watch them kind of be able to accommodate him so they could make it work considering the tight time schedule and everything. They're like, listen, we'll make it work. Let's, let's fix it. And I love that. It's very sweet. It was really cute. And I'm glad that they captured it. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you though, the way everybody's face when they were singing, they were almost a character of themselves. Like I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I thought they just did that hammy bit for videos and stuff. Not so. There was a lot of like squinty eyes and whatever. So it was like, it was very fun to see that. Do you think it's kind of like, it's kind of like in like martial arts, if you scream or you yell, you get more power. It's the same thing. Like this is something they need to kind of get that tone or range that they need. It's kind of helps it. I mean, cause have you ever seen John Mayer seeing? It's ridiculous to watch his face. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's got to have I a have purpose. Not. Not off the top of my head. I do like a few of his things. I mean, like, he's pretty to look at. Yeah, that's a sit there, <laughs> shut up, and look pretty kind of situation. <laughs> All the starlets would agree with you. Yeah. But yeah, just to watch. And some of the folks that they bring in, it's not all artists that they're talking to. They're talking about, like, the support staff, the lighting guys, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And they were like, oh, my God, they're like singing and I'm like basically taping up his like shooting from underneath up this guy's nose it was so funny <laughs> right and it was like a you know they felt like they understood the importance of the moment right they just signed on for a job and they're like sure whatever and they they probably did similar work I would imagine considering that they were even called in for this work but the fact that they were there to watch all of these artists at one time I can't imagine how overwhelming that would be And I'd be interested to understand if there's been like a modern equivalent. Hmm. I didn't look into that, but there could be. The the cameraman said that at the end of the night, you know, he had an invoice because it was a job and they're like, oh no, no, this was all voluntary. And he was like, okay, I guess I got a shirt out of it. I, (laughs) 
a good story. He was yeah. really funny though. Yeah. Of course, that's one of those things where you have no idea what it is in the moment, but then downstream you're like, oh my God, I was a part of this huge like pop culture thing. So, but I think something that big, they did understand that it was, they didn't know quite what it would be, but you have to know that was something special. Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 So they finish up. It's like eight in the morning. So like 10 hours of doing this nonstop standing most of the time under lights, these people, I really hope they were on drugs because I don't know how else you would do that. But it's funny because when they were done, Quincy was like, he sat down, he yawned. He's like, and that's it. As soon as you stop, that adrenaline leaves your body and you're ready to sleep. You're just done. Yeah. So Tom Baylor says at the very end, Diana Ross is one of the last to leave. She's a little misty and they're asking her like, what's, you know, what's, what gives? And she's like, I just didn't want it to end. It was so fun and moving and she enjoyed it. Now, mind you, I think at the beginning, everybody was like, "Mm." but at the end, you know, she was, and I just thought that was so cute. Yeah. It's very Mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And Lionel said it was interesting because he gets home and his family's all like, congratulations, you hosted the AMAs, you won all these awards. And all he could talk about was we are the world. Right. And they couldn't understand that that overshadowed everything that he had done that night. So it was just such a big moment to be a part of. And it kind of sucks that all of his, like he's had a hell of a career, right? But it's, it mm-hmm. to me, it's kind of a bummer that it wasn't a little bit more spaced out so he could have enjoyed it, that we are the world, which is a huge deal, overshadowed some of his other accomplishments, at least in his own head, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But he continued. He had a long career. So I I think after he was done performing so much, didn't he go into producing? And I, I think a lot of them do go into producing so they can help the younger generation. But I'm sure he does something with music still. He looks also he looks amazing. There are several of the people in this that I think they aged so well that they look much better now than they did when they were young. It's the right? David Bowie phenomenon. He Thank looked, you. He was hot. He was awkward yeah, at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. He yes. was just so weird. The bad teeth <laughs> and the weird hair. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah. Yeah. And but, the end, he um, was beautiful when he got older. Kenny Loggins looked great. Huey Lewis looked great. Mm-hmm. You know, John looks amazing. It's It was really fun to see all of them. Cheekbones that could cut glass. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that woman. Amazing. So the first printing sold out of this single. It is just a single, but it's not like they made a whole album. They made one mm-hmm. song. So the first printing sold out. Um, it says following its release, we are the world achieved significant recognition, winning record of the year and song of the year at the 1986 Grammys and a special award at the AMAs. Since the release, we are the world has raised over $80 million, which is equivalent to approximately $160 million in today's money for humanitarian causes in Africa and continues to raise money to this day. My thought behind that is, will the money from this documentary go towards that cause as well? Netflix, this is to you. And then there was also a ripple effect that artists started to realize that they could use their platform to make a difference. And so you have big shows like Farm Aid. We just had Farm Aid in town last year um, that raised money for farmers and stuff, especially when there are droughts and there are issues. The Live Aid, which there's a lot of... behind that one that was a bob geldof concert that was the big to do 
a couple of downers from that is Bob Geldof was pissed because Queen went on right before them. And so, of course, Queen puts on an amazing fucking show. And then, How do you follow Queen? Yeah. Well, he scheduled it or helped schedule it. He should have known. <laughs> Calm down. Right? <laughs> then the Boomtown Rats come on. And you're like, yeah, whatever. But that's Time to go fault. get a drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time to go to the bathroom. Right. Before the line gets long. But also there was a lot of controversy about how that money was spent. So it's oh, thought shit. that the money, okay. the money went to the government of Ethiopia, which was part of this problem. And so it didn't actually get to the people. I'm not sure how much of that is true or not, but there was a lot of to do around that. So that's unfortunate. Whereas I looked up for the money raised from this, we are the world single. It looks like it legitimately did a lot of good and they were able to do a lot of good with it. So that's good to hear. Right. They do at the end play the song for you. And after listening to all the different work and all the challenges they overcame to hear these vocal tracks, like, especially the singles for me, there's nothing, (laughs) they're such professionals, right? I'm like listening for a click or clack or a stomp in the background. There's nothing, but it's so fun to listen without looking at the screen and picking out the voices. I just, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed doing that this time. So, and I haven't heard it in years, right? It's been decades since I've yes. heard this song. And so to hear it again, brought back so many memories of where I was when this came out. I think this is the summer of 85 and what I felt like and how it, it was just lovely to hear again. And there was, it was a world premiere, right? It was a coordinated effort that nobody had heard it until they, mm-hmm did like a big synchronize to do, which they will Mm -hmm. do every once in a while. I mean, I don't know how common it is now, but um, there was a time Mm -hmm. when they were like, all right, everybody, grandmas and children gather around your radio and you can listen to (laughs) drink your Ovaltine, right? Listen to your (laughs) cereals. Um, (laughs) Maybe a little bit back where we're from that back that far, but yeah, they really made kind of an event out of it. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was on all the time. Mm-hmm. That was the problem with only having a couple of radio stations is you heard the same <laughs> 10 songs a thousand times a day, but right. they told you what was good and what wasn't. You didn't get a choice. This is, this is what's good. This is what you yeah. listen to. Yeah. Oh, well. So at the very end, Lionel comes back on and he's talking about um, some poignant words that his dad shared with him. And it was like, make sure that you're happy when you come home because you won't always be able to come home. And there was some discussion about why that is. And his dad was like, you can come back to the same room, the same house, but people won't be in it. And then um, Lionel talks about the, where they're doing the interviews with several of these folks is in the studio where they recorded the song. So he was like, yeah, Bruce Springsteen, it's that, you know, he was right over there when he sang his part and Cindy Lauper was right over here and, He said, um, you know, how much it affected him to be in this room without the folks that made the song. And it was just, you know, super moving. And I'm like, God damn it, Lionel Richie, making me cry. Thanks a lot. How how dare he? I know. You should know better. Look, lady, he's your knight in shining armor. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) So cheesy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Lionel Richie. I know. So many songs, so many songs of my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, They also had a list at the end of people who had passed who were part of it. So in loving memory, as it were, to Mm -hmm. Harry Belafonte, Michael Jackson, 
Ken Cragen, Ray Charles, James Ingram, Al Jurey, Anita Pointer, Junior Pointer, both from the Pointer Sisters, Kenny Rogers, and Tina Turner. Yeah. So sad. I kind of wondered what your opinion of, why wasn't Quincy in this? Because he's still kicking. I mean, he's in his 90s, or he is 90, so I wondered if maybe that was it. But I wish they had put a blurb up, as I was thinking about that the second time I watched. Well, they have clips from him talking about it, just not recently, right? When they, like, talked about it shortly after it was put together or whatever, when they did this in the 80s, or maybe in the 90s, someone talked to him. But they do have some video and some voice work from him talking about what it was like to make it. But yeah, it's not recent. And it could be that he's just not able to participate in stuff like that anymore. That's kind of what I wondered, but it would have been, I mean, they draw in so many people to talk about this. I just thought mm-hmm. it was strange that maybe, but I agree with you. There's probably a good reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. This was so much fun. It was so nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I'm thankful that Netflix put it out because I, it's not something I would have thought about. Mm-hmm. for a documentary but once I saw it I'm like oh my god I have to watch that <laughs> immediately I'm so excited to see something where people are coming together and getting over themselves to mm-hmm. put I don't know the more important stuff first I am really drawn to those kinds of things right now mm-hmm. so it was a balm on my soul to see some fucking people working together right you know so I yeah. appreciate that about this mm-hmm did you have an honorary Aaron for this episode? I do. Okay. I'm going to go with Diana Ross. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was so cute that she goes up to Daryl Hall and she's like, look, I'm your biggest fan. My dude. I'm <laughs> going to need you to sign this. And I say that because Daryl Hall in this footage is a complete snack. And I did not remember him being so hot when he was, <laughs> I mean, I was Mullet like and all. eight or whatever. <laughs> But I was like, oh, sir. And then I kept thinking about, where's John Hall in all this? Was he was like, there. I know he was, but he was like, that's a tough one to me. They were a duo. Yeah. Daryl. Well, Daryl Hall and John Oates. So where was John Oates, not John Hall? Yeah. Daryl Hall, John Oates. Where was he at? So In the background where he belongs? Sorry. <laughs> But I'm like, oh, that's that's a tough partnership. So Mm, I think it's it is pretty tough because they have a lot of ownership issues over the music that they've gone through. So uh, I think it is a tough partnership. Yeah. Okay. Who was your honorary? That was tough because there are a lot of personalities in this. My honorary Aaron is actually going to be the cameraman because he was like really in awe, but did his job professional and, uh, you know, just kind of in the background getting shit done. And at the end of the night, they're like, we're not paying you shit. And they're like, okay, I guess, I guess I just do my work, you know? And that's kind of how many times have we been walked over? <laughs> walked on. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Truth. Unfortunately, that is some Aaron energy, but I like that he had the bright side of been like, well, I have a story. So yeah. 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 He had a great story. He did a great job. And uh, I hope he got to meet everyone like, formally and get autographs if nothing else so you can sell that shit on ebay sir Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially now when it gets uh more attention again Mm -hmm. yeah okay okay what are we doing next week okay the one we've chosen for next week is a winnebago man it's a 20 
09 release. So 2009, that was really weird way to say it, but that's why you have me around. <laughs> it's an hour and 26 minutes long. A couple options for you. If you feel like you've been Amazon Prime some more of your money, you can rent it. If you mm -hmm. don't want to do that, because they're on my shit list now with all their commercials, mm -hmm. you can find it on Tubi for free. So mm -hmm. yeah, Winnebago Man. Bit of a story. It's supposed to be weird. I've not seen it yet. But this gentleman was kind of an early viral sensation. Uh, not something he was trying to do per se. So I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like our kind of weird. So <laughs> yeah, back to our roots, if you will. Truth. Mm. Truth. But I hope everyone gets a chance to watch Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix. I hope they enjoy it. And yeah, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Later. Bye.